I'm going to read to you from Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 6. Well, we're beginning a new series today in the book of Judges. I'm going to get straight into it. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Perez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders, yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of the enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previously had battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hevites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Uh, over summer and, and while I was away a couple of weeks holiday, I spent some time <clears throat> going back to one of my favourite books, series of books, 
Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if uh, any of you are familiar with it or have read it. It's a absurdist comedy sci-fi uh, kind of book. Uh, it's a classic that I've appreciated multiple times and it's a great joy to come back to it. Um, but I was reminded uh, in, in coming to this part of the Bible, <clears throat> I was reminded of one part of this story where they, there's this supercomputer that's built in order to answer the big question, to answer, to find the answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything. And, and after it's gone over its work for, I think, a long period of time, thousands of years, or whatever, it's got to compute everything. You, you can imagine there's a lot for it to factor in. Uh, the attendants are there and they're excitedly waiting and there's a big celebration waiting for the, the answer to be delivered to these people who have waited, uh, the generations that have followed. And, and eventually the computer comes up with this response. This is calmly and uh, very kind of just calmly says, the answer's 42. To which they're kind of like, they're scratching their heads. Are you sure? Are you sure? And he's like, the computer's, yeah, I've checked it all. I've double-checked. This is definitely it. The answer is 42. And so they're going, they realize this is a problem. It's not satisfactory. It doesn't actually help them out. And they're kind of saying, what does it mean? What's, what's the kind of question that this 42 is the actual answer to? And the computer says, well, that's, that's beyond what I can figure out. You're going to need a much more powerful computer. And, that, and this, this story goes on. Uh, but, but they've got this problem. They've got the answer, and they don't know what it means because they don't know the actual question that delivers that answer. They've kind of got the vague hope that it's giving them the meaning of life. But 42 is kind of so disconnected that they, they can't grapple its meaning. Now, it reminds me... There's a classic, uh, classic joke that's told about uh, a minister doing a kid's spot and, uh, or teaching a Sunday school class, and he's asking the children, he's getting their responses, what's, uh, what's soft and furry and has a fluffy tail and eats nuts, has a big, bushy, fluffy tail and eats nuts? And the, the children are kind of confused, and then, then one boy puts up his hand and nervously... And he says, sir, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel. <laughs> There's this expectation, isn't there, in Sunday school that the answer is always Jesus. There's an expectation in churches that the answer is Jesus. And in one sense, it's right. We know we should get to Jesus as the answer. But all too many times I think, it's, it's just a little bit like no, number 42. We know Jesus is the answer. We know Jesus is the solution. And we're not always clear on what the problem is. Some churches seem to be very excited about Jesus and yet not that clear on what the problem is that needs the solution of Jesus. Christians write books they have Bible study groups. They have sermons and podcasts and bumper stickers, excited about Jesus. But sadly, many people don't understand the nature of the problem that needs the solution of Jesus. 
And as we come to this book of Judges, what we get is a book that delves into this problem. Judges is a bit like, if I was describing it as a movie, it's, it's like it's the horror film of the Old Testament. Uh, it's a book that makes me uncomfortable reading some of the things that are in it. It's distasteful. It's not to be spoken about in polite company, let alone in church. Some of the content. There's lots of blood, as you can kind of see by my graphic design. It's a dark book. It's a book that's, you know, the, I don't know if you enjoy watching horror movies, but there's, there's always the kind of the tropes that get played out. There's the, there's the knock at the door and, you know, don't go and answer it because you know what's going to happen. And they always go and open it. It's kind of like that. You're reading Judges and the, these same situations keep coming up again and again and you're like, come on, come on, Israel. Don't turn away from God. Don't start following the idols of the nations around you. You know what's going to happen. And it does. It's got that, that suspense where it's just so predictably bad. <laughs> it's a dark book. And yet it's a book that exposes some of the depths of the problem of sin. It's a book we need. If we're going to understand the need for God's king and if we're going to understand the need for Jesus well and appreciate him well, we need to know and understand the problem of sin well. So we're going to dig into it. If you start at chapter 1 of Judges, Judges chapter 1, verse 1, it sets the time period. When are we dealing with? It says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, etc. It starts at the time, at the death of Joshua, which makes sense because the book before this is the book of Joshua, which deals with the things that happened under his leadership. But, but where are we? What's the bigger picture? Uh, let me give you a very quick speed tour, big picture story Bible, uh, through who, what's happened so far to get us to this point. God has made the world. The good God has created a good world and he's created people to rule the world under him. He's especially created Adam and Eve in the garden. God has created his people in his place and he's given them a wonderful blessing of being his people and he's given them clear rules. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? The Bible starts, opens with this problem. Adam and Eve, God's people, reject God's authority over them. They doubt his goodness and they disobey his word. This leads to judgment. God is angry with them. He kicks them out of his place. He removes from them the blessings of being in direct relationship with him. And ultimately, they die. They face death as the consequence for their sin. This is the problem the Bible opens with, the problem of sin. Uh, in the midst of this, God gives a glimpse of hope that one day someone will come and crush the serpent. A seat, one of Eve's descendants will come and crush the serpent, the one who tempted Eve to disobey and kind of get at the heart or the, the root 
of this problem of sin. There's a hope that this consequence of death and estrangement from God isn't forever. God is still going to work to overcome it. And so as we keep reading the Bible, this this unfolds, this problem and and its possible solutions. We see the problem spread uh, throughout as humanity spreads. Uh, It gets so bad that God judges the world in the flood, bringing catastrophic destruction, reminds us of the, the, the consequences of sin, how much it grieves God. Uh, later, mankind gather together to think we can, we can use our brains, we can use our God-given talent to create a tower and make ourselves heaven-worthy, show God who's who, and they have the Tower of Babel, asserting themselves, humanity together against God. God destroys it, scatters them. And we're left with this, this kind of downward spiral or this worsening crisis of sin until we get to Genesis chapter 12 where we read these words. God speaks to one man called Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Our God speaks to Abraham and promises him a special land, descendants that are numerous, to be a big people. And he promises Abraham that blessing will flow to this family and through this family to all the peoples of the earth. He's promising in this and an overturning of the, all the cursing that came to all the earth through Adam and Eve. He's promising hope as a solution to the, promise of, to the problem of sin. And this has been coming as we keep reading the Bible. We've read in the Big Picture Bible, Abraham has descendants, they grow, they get carted off to Egypt where they become many and the promises are being fulfilled. There's lots of them. They start to become a blessing to the Egyptians for a bit. God takes them out of Egypt, rescues them through the Exodus. And he gives them his law through Moses. These instructions that are to guide them how to live in relationship with God as his special people. And we start to see what Adam and Eve had lost in the garden, that estranged relationship with God being reestablished, albeit different and with a lot of qualifications, but God's working towards establishing a relationship between God and humanity through this nation of Israel. And so it seems like these promises are coming together, and especially when under Joshua, under his leadership, this people go in to the land God has promised. It seems like these promises to Abraham are all being fulfilled. There's this people. They're numerous. They're experiencing aspects of blessing at God's hand. They're being a blessing to others in different ways. And they're living in the land. It's God's people in his place and they're enjoying. Seems like seems like maybe the problem of sin solved. Is that, is that where we're at? There's a kind of there's a glimpse of this. 
And yet, at this point in the Bible, we get judges. This point in the story comes judges. And what do we see after Joshua dies and the generation that were with him? It all falls apart. It all falls apart. They reject God. They fall into the trap of following the practices of the nations around them. And they live lives pursuing sinfulness. Now, this chapter, this bit that I just read uh, earlier from chapter 2, kind of gives us the summary of what happens in Judges. as As we keep reading, we see it in specific detail. We see specific instances of this people, these next generations after Joshua, falling into sin, falling into apostasy, turning away from their God to other gods, falling into idolatry, serving and worshipping statues. We see them falling into wicked behaviour, evil deeds, stealing, abusing, sexual immorality, greediness. And it happens not just kind of once, it happens again and again and again. Uh, this sin is an ongoing problem. Now, let me just draw your attention to these verses. Some of the ways that sin, the failure of this people, is described. And we're told, first of all, in verse 10, that this generation grew up who didn't know God, they didn't know what He had done. This is, this is the beginning of the problem. They're not learning about God and what he has done, who he is. Then in verse 11, then Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the baths. Evil practices, idolatrous worship. Forsaking the first commandment, verse 12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. God said, you shall have no other gods. They had other gods. And because of this, they aroused the Lord's anger. They forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. God raises up these judges who were able to be their leaders at different times. And yet, verse 17, they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Strong language, isn't it? Prostitution. It's kind of alluding to the sexual immorality that they were practicing in as part of the worship of other gods, but it's also symbolically describing the, their unfaithfulness to Yahweh, their God, the one they had a special relationship with, the God who had chosen them and set them apart and had blessed them and made them prosperous and given them the land, the good land. They are unfaithful to him. And as this happens again and again, we're told 
in verse 19, when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. It's just, it's ingrained. And it's not just kind of going back to the, the bad things, but it's a deepening, worsening cycle, spiraling downwards into more evil, more wickedness. It's described in verse 20. God speaks to them and talks about them violating the covenant. Their sin is, is, has legal ramifications. God had made an agreement with them, the covenant, about what it meant for them to be his people and for he to be their God. And they have ignored it. They've acted against it. They have not listened to me, God says. The people are wrestling, struggling. No, they're not wrestling. (laughs) They're overwhelmed with this problem of sin. And so what's the pattern that we see in Judges? Well, because of this, God is angry and God judges them. God brings about destruction. He brings about harm to this people. He removes the blessing that he was bestowing on them and he uses through the other nations that are around in their midst even to do this. They are at war with them. They come and raid and steal their food, their belongings. And so there are people that's not at peace but under threat of war, under threat of loss. There are other nations rule over them, different parts of, the, of God's people. And they groan and are afflicted. They're in great distress, we're told. The consequences of their sin is that God judges them. And it is not pleasant. They groan and they cry out to God amidst this. And God, in his compassion, hears them. And he raises up these leaders, these judges, who are able to deliver them from their enemies at different times, to give them respite from war or from being ruled over by other nations, to give them brief periods of peace. They they sin. They bear the consequences of God's judgment. They don't like it and they call out to God. And in his compassion, he gives them a a deliverer, a judge, who leads them out of their trouble for the time being until the judge dies. And they return to those ways even more corrupt than their ancestors. And we see this. Their need for help overcoming the the problem, the consequences of their sin, God providing the help and it actually being a temporary solution. They need a more permanent fix.
They refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. How insidious sin is. How firm and strong its grip on humans is. Even God's set-apart people. Sin isn't something we just think about as being out there. Sin is the problem that every person As we continue this series, we're going to delve in and see different aspects of sin. We're going to unpack more of it as it judges exposes how big this problem really is. Because it's my prayer, it's my hope that we're not a people, we're not a church that, that knows the solution, that doesn't have a good grip of the problem. We see here the cycle, and uh, as, as we get to, towards the end of the book, it's summed up uh, in, this, in this phrase. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This is their analysis. There's no king. There's no one leader uniting them all under the appropriate authority. There's these periodic judges that come up, come and go. And the, the result is the people do whatever they see is fit. Or uh, as I've used in the title of this series, I've borrowed the words from the ESV. They did what was right in their own eyes. People still doing exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden, doubting God's goodness, Distrusting his word, disobeying his commands, wanting to be the ruler themselves, their own authority. They need a king, and not just a king, they need the king. We see that play out as we keep reading the Old Testament. They need the perfect king, they need the good king. They need the eternal king, the king who won't just rule over them and kind of beat into them God's rules harder so it sticks in their heads or not even the king who's going to give the, the perfect example that they all really want to follow. They need the king who will die for their sins, the king who will lay down his own life to bear the consequences of their sin. And let me tell you, just as the judges needed that, that's what we need. We too have the problem with sin and we, well, I know I can. I can testify to its insidious nature, its firm grip. the deceitfulness of temptation. It comes back again and again. It's an ongoing problem to deal with. I know that I need Jesus to deal with the consequences of my sin. And I know you need him. 
We want to be a church, don't we? That's one gospel family. It's overflowing with joy in Jesus. That's the, that's the summary, the, the line that I've put together from your, your feedback last year. And that's wonderful. We want to be people who are overflowing with joy in Jesus. But for us to do that well, for us to do that properly, for us to not just be happy in Jesus, not just to be people who are excited, but people who have true joy in Jesus, we need to be that true gospel family, people who understand the reality of the problem of sin, understand the significance of Jesus' death for sin, understand the hope of Jesus' victory over sin. As my prayer, as we walk further in this series, that we will become that more and more true gospel family who are overflowing with joy in Jesus. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, even, even hard parts of your word that maybe make us uncomfortable. We thank you for the book of Judges. Please use it today and over the coming weeks to help us understand sin better in order that we might appreciate Jesus more and more to know our need for him and to know how important the salvation is that only he provides. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.